Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, dog? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 249, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, it's going to be a dazzling and entertaining one today. I can tell you this. A lifelong search for me has ended. Something that, that Jacques' son has experienced that I don't know how many people ever in life get to experience. A huge anniversary. A, 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 a death that I think took all of us in, in a shocking manner. And, oh, by the way, whispers from the star. Okay, how many of you guys just popped one? Be honest. I'm telling you, people all the time, but whispers from the star. Oh, oh. so yeah, you're gonna you're you're having that all on this version of the podcast. But before we do that again, and I know we remind you of this every podcast, but I'm telling you, many of you go, I get it, I get it. Greening law, call them if I need them. I'll tell you, eventually somebody's gonna run a red light and hit you. You're gonna be standing in line at a business, and the fan's gonna fly off the ceiling and hit you in the head, and you go, Oh my god, now I get it. I, I need somebody. That's when you call Greening Law. Keep the number handy. They are the lawyers that go to work for you. The Green Team, Robert Greening there in Dallas, Texas, 972-934-8900. They will fight your legal battle for you against those insurance companies. And I'm telling you, I've been working with them for a long time. They do things, the, the stuff that they help you out with behind the scenes to make your life easier while you're going through all this is incredible. Let me tell you why you need to pick up the phone and call 972-989-3900. That's because all it takes is a phone call. Seriously. It could change your life. Because what happens is you tell them your situation. Here's the details. What do you guys think? And if they think you've got a case, then they take you on as a client. It's been your great day. Lucky day for you. Um, now, here's the other thing I like about Green Team and the Greening Law. They don't take a dime, not a fee, not a nickel, not a penny until they win your case. Check that out. They bet on themselves every single time. They don't get paid unless you get paid. And to me, it's a great concept. And so that's another reason to pick up the phone and give them a call. That's exactly right. And that consultation is absolutely free. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. Robert Greening, Offices, Dallas, Texas. So June 1st, in the evening, 
it's funny because we went and saw Top Gun Maverick yes, on June 1st. We went, my son's in town, and, and we went and took him. It was phenomenal. If you like the original movie, it's a phenomenal movie, by the way. The, the airplane scenes are incredible. There's enough nostalgia and kind of nods to the original that it just works without overdoing it. But what I get out of the theater, and we're going to talk about kind of like this. When you're in the movie theater, you're not on your phone. Right. So you don't look at your phone for a couple of hours, whatever it is. And, and you get out of a theater like that. And the next thing you know, you look, you've got five messages and Twitter's going crazy. And I'm like, man, what is going on? And one of my buddies had texted me and he goes, man, Marion Barber, sad. And I was like, what? So I immediately jump on Twitter. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Marion Barber, the third, who played what? Six seasons with the Dallas Cowboys, seven total in the NFL passed away on June 1st at the insanely, insanely young age. He would have turned 39 in seven days, June 10th, passes away at the age of 38. Yeah, man, sad day. I was, uh, I was like you. I, was, I wasn't at the movie. I was doing something. But I hadn't been on my phone for a minute. And I was reading, and I think uh, Chill's article, Clarence Hill Jr., his article popped up on uh, Twitter. And it said, uh, you know, Mary and Barbara dead at 38. And I, I have since written a piece uh, that's up on uh, my Twitter, JJT underscore journalist. Uh, you can also find it at the Dallas Morning News. Um, and it talks about, I wasn't surprised at all. That didn't make it any less sad, but I wasn't surprised at all that he died um, at his age, I, at that age. Uh, I, had, I was just, I think it was a case for a lot of people, they were just wondering, when it would happen and here's why because if you if you read all the accounts today from all the different writers whether it's clarence or dallascowboys.com or wherever they all talk about how he, he had had these off the field issues and it wasn't so much well let me put it like this it was the legal stuff but the legal stuff was of such a nature that made you wonder if he was either having some mental issues or if he was having some cte issues or if he's having something because the Marion Barber who played for the Cowboys was such a low-key, personable, fun-loving guy that all the stuff you read about him seemed completely out of character. Yeah, and, and just all in all, just incredibly sad. I think all of us very much remember Marion Barber with the Cowboys. I don't know how many people would realize, you know, he is eighth all-time in rushing yards for the franchise. And despite playing just six seasons, he was he's fourth all-time in the franchise, 47 rushing touchdowns. The only three ahead of him are Emmett Smith, Tony Dorsett, and Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, that, that's it, man. And we all remember Marion Barber was kind of like that big, bruising, just run over you type back. Hell, I remember him at college when he was with Lawrence Maroney. And it, it was those wow. two guys, and, and the Cowboys end up drafting him. And I think some of us thought for a while that, okay, man, Marion the Barbarian, remember? I mean, he, he just would run over guys. They sparingly used him kind of his first couple of seasons, and then he finally got more of an opportunity, what was that, 07, I guess, when he rushed yeah. for almost 1,000 yards, and he had three straight seasons where he was right around 900 yards and was a, a fairly serviceable back, I thought, for a couple of years with the Cowboys. He was a really good back for a couple of years, man, but he was so violent in his style and his, in his approach. You just knew he couldn't last that long uh, as a running back. Um, but he has like somebody put up a highlight tape of his the other day, about two and a half minutes. And I'm telling you, bro, everybody remembers that long run that that he had 
uh, that resulted in the two-yard gain. But um, I think the thing that stands out is that was just one of many, bro. Yeah. I mean, well, I remember when the Raiders where he's like five yards back in the end zone and he's running horizontally across the end zone from one goal line to the other, and he finally cuts up and gets about two yards, and he probably ran about 60. Yeah. But, dude, he had a bunch of those – not quite that dramatic, but a bunch of those where he's shaking off guys, running over guys, lunging into the end zone. I mean, he was a really, really, really good running back for about three years in Dallas. Yeah, he was. I mean, he he had the one Pro Bowl selection, and that was in 2007. He ran over 200 times. He had 975 yards, 10 rushing touchdowns, averaged 4.8 yards a carry. And and like you said, I think the best way to really describe his style, I mean, he was a violent running back. In those three straight years, I mean, people forgot he caught a, a bunch out of the backfield. I mean, he had 44 catches one year. He had 52 another year. He had three straight seasons with 1,100 total yards from scrimmage or more. And just one of those guys, I think, that we because of his style – and he was such – the way that he ran, I think Cowboys fans just fell in love with that. No, I, w- I would agree with that, man. I mean, he was an easy player to uh, like. He was a very – I called him a very enigmatic player in my column. And, and that's because – and I was really trying to think about this. Outside of Rocket Ismail, to me, as best I can remember, he's the only guy who really never talked. Um, and I never blame guys when they don't want to talk. Some people are all upset and this or that. It's the number of guys who don't want to talk is so few that I, I kind of just give them a pass. If it bothers you that much or whatever, yeah. and you really don't want to talk, that's fine. Because a lot of times, if you make them talk, what you get is not worth whatever time you spent listening to it. That being said, what you can respect about guys like that is that you know, he had 10 100-yard games. Well, he didn't want to talk after those either. Yeah. Like, you know, some people don't want to talk. Uh, well, you know, I just had seven touchdowns today, so I'll, I'll talk to you today because it was a good day for me. Well, he wasn't like that. You know, I think he had ten nine games with two touchdowns. Well, he didn't want to talk after any of those either. And uh, he had like 140 yards against the Packers one day. And Rich Dalrymple made him talk. Like, you will go talk today. Wow. And he was so bad that I don't. I'm not sure any of us use any quotes. Hmm. That's awesome. But what man. I like to, huh? I said that's awesome. No, you couldn't even. Oh. Uh, but what I like to tell about people is, you know, just because you don't like to talk, and I like to spell this out sometimes, doesn't mean you're not smart or you're not intelligent or you don't have something to say. It just means, you know, it could be one of several things. Number one, with him, he was shy. But also number two. Don't forget, his father played in the NFL for six seasons. I believe they were all with the New York Jets. So thank New York media. And even though his father wasn't a star, his father had told him, beware of the media. The media is bad. Don't give the media anything. Yeah. And I know this because you got to understand, Matt, I made my living. I made my built my entire career, really, on talking, getting guys who didn't talk to talk to me. And all you have to do is right now is go back and look at my relationship with Deion Sanders, who doesn't really talk to anybody yeah. on a regular basis, and say, oh, I guess he's telling the truth. But no, Leon Lett, Larry Allen, Charles Haley, Eric Williams, all those guys who either talked very, very seldom or never talked to the media, 
I talk to them regularly and wrote stories about them regularly. So um, my point is, that's my deal. So the fact that he initially didn't talk, I go, oh, I'll break this down. No big, no, no biggie. This is what I do. But the very first time I talked to him, Matt, uh, this was at probably at a rookie mini camp or something, or shortly after he got drafted. I said I was talking to him, and that's when he told me what his father had said about ah, ha, ha, my dad said don't don't get in too tight with the media, don't really trust the media, man. Mm. I said okay. I said hey, can I get your dad's number so I can give him a call? He started laughing. He said man, no, I can't give my pops number, man. No, he ain't gonna talk to you anyway. <laughs> and so that's what he came in with. <laughs> And he just never left it. Wow. And see, and um, but the funny thing is, man. So he was consistent. And I respected that. Uh, but he also had um, every time I saw him, dog, he was like you. He had a book. He was a reader, voracious huh. reader, like really. Um, and so he would always have a book with him. And it got to the point where, like, a lot of guys don't like Rocky. This man wouldn't talk publicly for the record, but you could go up to Rocky. This man talk no dang football all day long. He 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 would never shut up. He just didn't want to be quoted in stories and stuff. Yeah. So you know, I talked to Marion about Ohio State, and Minnesota, and stuff like that. But it got to the point I'd be like, "So what you reading? What's it? What's it, what's it all about?" And normally it was some kind of self help book, man. Um. So you know, but the um, the funniest story I have about Marion Barber is, and I hope you can appreciate this. Um, during the highlight of um, the the Tony Romo won't throw anybody but Jason Witten the football, mm-hmm. that kind of controversy. Yeah, uh, his locker was right next to To's for a while, and um, you know To always had a big crowd around his locker. Marion's be like, man, I can't even get in my locker. All y'all hanging around here trying to talk to To. Blah blah blah. Now he was saying with that good natured smile, but you knew he really meant it. Uh, so one day we're all around T.O. asking about Tony Romo, this or that. And, and he turns on his music, has it queued up for that O.J. song, Backstabbers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so throughout T.O.'s whole interview, he's got Backstabbers playing in the background. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, I'm telling you, he had a really good sense of humor. You know, it's weird because I've been in the Cowboys locker room several times, but obviously not like you were in there probably every day. And when I first started working at the ticket back in 2009 was the first time I ever went in the locker room. And, you know, growing up a Cowboys fan, when you walk into the Cowboys locker room for the first time, there's Jason Witten and there's Tony Romo and all these guys. It can be it's a little overwhelming. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And I remember, you know, when I very first was doing stuff with the ticket, I was one of those guys they'd send out to get audio and cut it up and send it so that they could use them in tickers and stuff like that. And Marion Barber is like one of the first Cowboys that I ever saw, but he was in the middle of the room. And I just remember like him and John Kitna playing dominoes or poker or something. It's probably dominoes. Yeah, it must have been. And I remember for a dude who, like you say, like he, he was quiet, wouldn't talk. But I remember one time something happened, and I everybody kind of looked over. Marion Barber's just going crazy at the at the table where they're playing this game, and I was like, "Man, so that guy actually has a really good personality around the team and like the guys that probably know him." Oh yeah, I mean he was one of the. I mean he was one of those cats everybody loved. How could you not love that dude if he's playing for you? Yeah, uh, because he played with a certain, uh, you know, you know, love of the game certain intensity, certain uh, energy that, you know, was just hard to match. And uh, that's why that's why it's really sad because what happened, man, is after the game, and I'm piecing this together from 
conversations with several people over the last few years, as well as some stuff that I found out today that uh, some other guys are working on. Um, so you can read about it in the next, you know, over the next few yeah. days. But, you know, it was clear, people, people who knew him, it was clear he was having some type of issues because I saw this from uh, two different people um, showed me some text messages that they received. Two different people showed me text messages from different people. Okay, does that make sense? Yes, yeah. And the messages were eerily the same. And it was basically, and again, this is not the same person. This is different people saying, oh, yeah, we went out to lunch and we spent two or three hours together. And it was just very clear that he wasn't all there. Mm. You know, now you can interpret that however you want, meaning either he couldn't follow the conversation or he was having trouble remembering parts of the conversation or you talk about something and he just kind of stare at you or whatever. You can take yeah. that how you want to. But when that many people say it's clear that, you know, he was having some type of issue. And uh, another guy I was talking to today was like, you know, he, he'd come up to the facility. This was over the course of several years. But one day he showed up and he was just like, he's just like, I don't want to be alone. And so he was just hanging out and the guy's like, well, it was cool for a couple hours, but then I was like, I got stuff I got to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so he brought somebody else and he said, hey, why don't you go hang out with this guy until I get back? And so, um, you know, nobody knows what the cause of death was yet, and there's no need to speculate because it'll all come out in the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks, uh, or next several weeks. Uh, but, man, it's just a, uh, it's a sad story because he was such a good dude, and he just wished he had had a better fate. Yeah, it, it's it's very very sad. When I saw that, I mean, it just you're you're just a little stunned. I think we all were, and really really sad. And, and we all kind of go back and remember those times and some different things about them. And and like I said, I mean, again, I, I don't know why I remember him from Minnesota, but I do with him and Lawrence Maroney. Like I said, because I think Maroney, if I recall, was a first round pick, and those right. were two dudes for two consecutive years. He was drafted what oh five, so it would have been oh three oh four. They had back-to-back, -back, like, like Marion Barber had a 1,000-plus-yard season, and so did Lawrence Maroney, both two consecutive years. And Maroney ended up getting first drafted first, and then Barber's drafted by the Cowboys, and Barber ended up having the better career. Lawrence Maroney, I can't remember. I think he was in the league for like four years maybe, drafted by the Patriots, and, and, and right. you know, really never did much. And Marion Barber, like we've been talking about for a couple of years, really just made himself a career, man, with the Dallas Cowboys. And... It's funny because I remember, you know, at first when he came in, he was sharing time with Julius Jones. And I remember when they drafted Julius Jones, everybody was all excited about that. Oh, my God, this dude's going to be incredible. And he was good. But the way Mary and Barbara ran, like, dude, it's almost like it is now, like with Zeke and Tony Pollard. Like we would right. sit. I remember being like that. Like, give the ball to Mary and Barbara. That dude's a beast. Give him the ball. Dude, I mean, you know, the ferocity in which he played was just like, wow. Yeah. You know, and. You know, you just wish everybody who had that talent played like that, but that's what makes all that's what makes everybody different, man. Yeah. Marion the Barbarian, very sad, passing away 38 years old. It's un, just way too young, man. Way too young. So let's take this trip around the block. We got some things that we got to get into, some interesting conversations, I would imagine. Have you ordered your bruised biltong yet? I hope you have. If you haven't, why not? Go get it. I ate some this evening because I had a nice workout, and then I downed some bruised biltong. I love it. It's savory. It's way more tender. I will tell you this. 
If you are a beef jerky fan, you are going to love Brews Biltong. Online at brewsbiltong.com, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. You can put in the promo code JAM15. You get 15% off your order every time. We're the only podcast he's ever worked with. You guys have been great, so keep those orders coming for him. And and not just for that, you're going to like it. Like, it's actually really good. I, I, I honestly eat it all the time. You know, two of my favorite things, man, is when you say it's good and it's good for you. Mm-hmm. I used to tell my kids that all the time. Hey, eat this. It's good and it's good for you. And I say the same thing about biltong, man. It's the sliced biltong for me. It's juicy. No, seriously, for real, for real. It's succulent. It's, um, I mean, it's tasty. It's good. Um, I also like the 30 pounds of protein. Uh, 240 calories is cool with me. Uh, but protein is important to me, man. And so I like to eat it because it's of the workout uh, nutrients it provides when I'm missed from working out. And so all I got to say is get yourself some Biltong. You won't even need a toothpick to get it out from between your teeth. That's very true. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So check it out. A traditional South African air-dried meat. It is Biltong. Online at bruisebiltong.com. Promo code JAM15 for 15% off at checkout. And of course, while you're maybe sitting around waiting for JR at Freeway Tire Shop to change your tires out or give you an oil change, do a state inspection, you can take your Biltong with you and snack on it because that's where you're going to be taking your vehicles just like Jacques takes all of his six cars. For anything that you may need, the mechanic you can trust that does the work that he stands behind, it's JR and his guys over there at Freeway Tire Shop. Dude, JR is the best, man. Uh, he's the best because you can trust him. Um if unless you fix on cars, you need a mechanic you can trust just like you need a doctor you can trust. And I trust JR because he's, you know, terrific at diagnosing the issue. That's the first thing. You can't fix a car if you can't figure out what's wrong with it. And then I trust him to uh, use quality parts to fix whatever he's figured out is wrong with it. And then, man, it's a big one for me. Can you just charge me a quality price, man? A fair price. I know you got to make some money, but it's a fair price. And we all know it when we hear it. Well, JR does it that on a regular a freeway tire, and I trust him to do that. And then, man, I trust him to stand behind his work. He does all these things consistently. And check this out, man. He does them whether it's like me who he knows or whether it's like somebody else he doesn't know. It's everybody's getting the same deal, and that's why it doesn't matter where you live. If, you, if your car needs some work, take it to freeway tire. Make it happen, man. You can schedule your appointment. You can request your quote. Get it in your mind. Make it your routine at freewaytireshop.com. We walk around the block here, and do you guys realize, Jacques and I are recording this on June 2nd. June 2nd, 2002, 20 years ago, almost to the hour as we record this, the very first episode of one of the greatest television shows in history, The Wire, made its debut on HBO. Some people believe it is the best. I, I will fight forever for The Sopranos. That's my favorite show. It, it, it made shows like The Wire possible. But I got to tell you, man, the ensemble cast, the way that they showed the inner workings of a city in five different seasons from five different angles while carrying through storylines, The Wire to me is one of the best shows ever written, one of the best acted shows of all time. It's in my top three. You know, you just said something interesting. It's clearly in my top three. It's it's one of the best shows I've ever seen, obviously. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, you mentioned several things there. Why was it the best show or one of the best shows to you? The acting, the writing, the directing, the producing. And I know you can say, well, it's all of that, fool. 
but you know, I'm curious as to what it is most it, drew you to. It. I will tell you because the first time that I watched it, I don't think I had the appreciation for it, and I don't know that I it, it started to really believe that it was one of the greatest shows of all time until we went back during the pandemic and watched it in its entirety and binged it. And I watched the entire thing a second time, and I really started to realize, to me, their, again, their ability to have such an ensemble cast where we all had our favorite characters to show the inner workings of a city like Baltimore and do it from a variety of different angles while creating storylines that that some carried through the entire series, some were just for that season, and, and showing all the different angles of that. I mean, it's very unique and original the way that it worked like that, and it was real. I mean, it, it was gritty. It was raw. People died it, the way that they would really die. Things happened, and it just seemed real. Like, not all cops were there because they loved being a cop. Not all cops were good. Some of the cops pushed it a little too far. It, it, it kind of showed, like, the other side of it, which I don't, I don't know that we've seen that real of a look at the projects ever on television. Now, I think that's a lot of, um, I think it was the realness, the grittiness of it that really did it. And they had some great characters, man, and not yeah. always just the main characters. You know, like Snoop, the female assassin. Yeah. You think that wasn't a great character? Um, you know, Marlo, in his own understated, kind of quiet way, that to me was a great character. Sure. Obviously, Omar was my favorite character. Um, and what was he? He was a gayest, you know, drug lord. Mm-hmm. You know who was who was openly gay. You know it wasn't you know, it wasn't in the closet, and uh, and the fact of it, he could be so inhumane to these people out on the streets, and yet be all sensitive with his lover. I mean, it was it's true, man. It was wild. It, it, it was, was great. It, it was, and and the diversity of the cast, especially at that time in television, that was probably the most diverse show on television, and and I mean because you had all sorts of different races, all sorts of different types of people being represented in and not just like oh okay so you're a black dude i guess you must be a drug dealer no i mean how right. about lance reddick who like rose to the highest role you can have in the police department and and, and right. i just thought it, it showed different angles and it and it, it just did it so well it 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 man i mean how about bubbles i mean my god you talk about one of the great characters that dude yeah. who played bubbles that was insane Showing the drug yeah. addict, showing the real reality of living on the streets and, and fighting for your life every day and wondering, am I going to go to bed tonight or will I be dead like uh, the, the dude that Michael B. Jordan plays? I like the, uh, it was the humanity that's of a great all way the different to, yeah. characters. Mm-hmm. You know, you can show, and that's what I mean, like Omar is this drug lord who has very few redeeming qualities, but he does have a code that he lives by. You know, including we take a war, we take a break on Sunday so I can take my mama to church and all that kind of stuff. And but, you know, man, it's just um, the way they did it, the way they wrote it, the characters, the development of the characters and what it did for me. And I can't talk about anybody else, only for your boy here. It introduced me to what Matt knows is my favorite thing about TV, the surprise death. Mm. Like. Okay, you know, I, I think I've had a moment of clarity, and I've said this a couple times, but maybe I'm really understanding it. The reason so many other shows don't do anything for me is you understand that the star will be there at the end. Yeah. Well, if you're in a series of episodic TV or whatever, like Ozarks or, you know, The Wire and some other shows, 
the shield did it too. And you realize that, oh, just because you're a star, oh, that don't mean that you're going to last. Then when those people get in, in situations where you go, oh, I wonder how he's going to get out of this. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. And to me, that is the greatness of those shows. Yeah, and, and The Wire was very much that way. And even the way that they portrayed the detectives and the cops in the show, I thought was so realistic. I mean, the problems that McNulty had, struggling with alcohol and, and being divorced and being obsessed and almost addicted, like his drug was his job. But understanding yeah. that, okay, you know, hey, I need some tips from Omar or I need some tips from here, so... Let's let's turn a blind eye to some of these things because it's almost as if they respected each other to some degree. Like, look, I get that you're on a different side of this and I'm a cop, but I'm going after bigger fish than you and I can use you to help me and you can use me to help you. And, and I, it just the inner workings of all of that were phenomenal. It, it's almost like you're watching a documentary at times. Dude, it's fantastic, man. It's, you know, that uh, <laughs> whether it's The Wire, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Ozarks, man, all those all those shows set such a high standard for everybody else. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, that, you know, we hold them to a high standard because we're like, OK, we've seen what the best you guys have to offer as a genre. And we've seen it on a lot of different occasions. So we know it can be done and we know it can be done regularly. So if you don't hit that standard, well. Excuse my friends. Fuck y'all. We on to the next one. Yeah, no doubt, man. I mean, what a show. 20 years ago, it okay. made its debut. Now, that that was really the ender, and Matt wrapped that up beautifully. Yes. We, we didn't talk about which season he liked the best. Man, it, it it's, <laughs> it's really, really hard not to love season one. Yeah. The most. Right. Yeah. That's a that's an impossible question to answer. I can say I I get watching it the second time. Season two, the docs make a lot more sense and fit everything. I feel like when you watch it and you binge it and you jump from season one and you immediately start season two and then you immediately start season three, it fits into the puzzle right. better than when I originally saw it. But it, it's so hard. Season one where all the characters are there and you're seeing the inner workings and in that one to me is so real and raw. It's very difficult to not love season one, maybe the most. But all the seasons, I mean, they're all right there neck and neck. It's hard to pick one. Right. Well, I'm picking number three. Okay. Because that was uh, that was really when uh, your boy got killed. Uh, I'm having an old man moment. So now I can't remember his name. Stringer Bell? Yeah, Stringer Bell. That's when yeah. Stringer gets killed. So I like that whole thing leading up to that. And then I like Brother Mozan, the the assassin who comes in, who shows up uh, in his very cold-blooded nature, not personal nature. I just liked all of that because, again, even though the star of season one got killed at the end, I just wasn't – I was trying to figure out how Stringer was going to get out of this. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized, oh, he's not. Hey, if that's a spoiler, then you've had 20 years to watch it. So screw you, buddy. Um, <laughs> that just came to mind right quick. Because, you know, somebody will text you, you know, I've just heard about The Wire and I'm just getting into it. And now you've ruined something. Yeah, sorry that 20 years. Hey, guess what? The Titanic <laughs> sinks. I mean, God. I think 20 years going by, if you haven't seen it, that's on you, man. <laughs> I think 20 years is a pretty decent spoiler cutoff. 
You know, we weren't going to say anything a week ago, but now that we've hit the 20-year mark, we're telling all of it. So I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I almost said season three myself. I would say season one and season three to me are the two best. I will say, and this is part of the the character and the acting, I couldn't stand Marlo. Like, I hated that dude. Oh, that means he was a good-ass yeah, actor. Exactly. Like, he was such... Like, and I don't know if you can be a douche in a gang like that, but he just struck me as a giant douchebag. He was such a narcissistic prick. Yeah, he was. And I kept waiting. I just wanted somebody to shoot him in the face. I was like, like Stringer Bell, I kind of liked how he did it. You know, he was trying to to stay in the game, but also use it to advance his life and, and, and put something better together and all that. And then Marlo comes along and you're like, dude, you're just... You're, you're just the same as, as Avon Barksdale. You think you're better, but you're the same guy. And I, I kept waiting for somebody to shoot him in the face, and he just kept <laughs> hanging around, man. What can you yeah, do? Bro. The wire. It's greatness. So the other thing here, and, man, we've got a lot. So I'll throw mine out here. We had talked about this. Man, we might have talked about it on the radio show at some point. I think we might have talked about it on the podcast. I have talked about for forever – I have not been able to find a pillow that I love. Boy, shut up. I, I'm, <laughs> dude, it's true. It's very, very true. I use, I sleep on my side and I will order pillows for side sleepers and I don't like them. I can't stand them. They're too fluffy. They're too big. They're too something. And so I have been using for forever like this $5 pillow I got at Target or something. It's super flat. But now, and I don't know, maybe I, my body's just getting older, but I can't, I, I don't like how my body feels because my head is not supported enough. I know this is all weird. And so I end up sleeping with like my hands under my pillow, under my head to push my head up a little bit, or I end up folding my pillow just a little bit. And so maybe, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just, I, I haven't, I have not been able to find a pillow I love. And this has been something I have purchased multiple pillows. People will suggest me a pillow and I'll go out and buy one. And then I try it and like, nope. And I'll return it. Like I've probably ordered like four or five different pillows from Amazon and returned them all. Wow. Have you, um, maybe you need that neck thing that people on the airline sleep with in addition to the pillow that you currently have. See, that's too much for me. But uh, I bring this up because the heavens have parted. Oh, and the pillow, them. the God of pillows reached down and graced me. And I will tell you this, and it happened on our Arkansas trip. We were staying in an Airbnb. You stole the pillow. I, <laughs> no, I didn't steal a pillow. Oh, but okay. I will tell you this. We were sleeping and I lay down. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. This, I think this is it. I love this pillow. And so, and I, here's what I did. I took the pillowcase off and then the pillow was zipped up and then it's like zip other pillowcase. I unzipped that, pulled it out. And I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, my God, they cut the tags off. I don't know what this is. And I'm looking at it and I'm turning it around, trying to figure out what pillow is this. And I still didn't know for sure, but it had, and I didn't even know they made pillows. It had a little tag on the corner that I could make out a Calvin Klein pillow. Really? You bougie ass dude. So I go on to Amazon and I'm searching and I'm like, no, that's not it. That's not it. And I'm scrolling through and I find it. I'm like, that's exactly what it looks like. It's a Calvin Klein, almost down pillow. I ordered cost? one. It costs like 40 bucks, Ooh. which for a pillow is a rip off to me. But as the lady friend told me, she's like, I mean, you're going to use this every day for who knows how long is it worth it to you? I was like, yes. You're right. I'm surprised you didn't order like four. <laughs> well, I, I ordered one 
to make sure, okay, is this what I, the one I believe it is? It got here today. It was, I immediately put it on the bed and laid down. I was like, oh my God, it's it, it's it, it's it. I found my pillow, man. And I don't know what it is because when you look at it, it looks too big. But I guess right. it's not down. It's like a replica of down or, or something. It says almost down, right? Yeah, it says almost down, but it's not actually down feathers. But when you put your head on it, it it go it's so soft and your head sinks and it's the right height. And I was like, I can't believe I found it. I cannot believe after years of searching, I have found a pillow. Who decided we needed pillows to sleep on? I'm just curious. I don't know, man. Like. I don't know. Like, have you ever tried to sleep without a pillow? Like, your head is too low. And, and, and well, that's what I'm getting at. I've been a pillow sleeper my entire life. And for some reason, in the last five or six months, I've gone pillowless and uh, it hadn't bothered me one bit. You don't use a pillow at all? Do, wait, okay, so do you sleep on your back? No. You sleep on your side? Yeah. And you don't need a pillow at all? No. I would have, I would have, I would have told you that was bizarre, um, and that I needed a pillow, but I can't remember what happened. But I slept a couple nights without a pillow, and I was just. That's really strange because I've tried to do that, and like my pillow that I've been using is so thin that I'll wake up and I don't know what it is, but like my, it's almost like my collarbone area in the back of my, maybe it's since I had my wreck. Maybe I just screwed up my back or something. That could very well be. I didn't think about that, but it's gotten to the point where like my, I'm like super sore and I I feel like it's because my head is too low and it's not in alignment where it should be with my spine. Hmm. And it like puts too much pressure on one of my shoulders. If I, if I lay that way for too long or it's really weird. Right, right, right. Like, I could imagine, like, if you don't need a pillow, like, maybe if you're a back sleeper or a front sleeper, but side sleeper not using a pillow, it feels like your head would be too low. That's <laughs> wild, man. I don't have any explanation for it, brother. Interesting. So you just yeah. get, like, you just don't even, you, you, I mean, that's why. So when you go to bed, there's no pillow there. Nope. Huh. <laughs> I mean that's like I, I feel like the Indians maybe used to do that like out on the plane or something but even then like in the movies they show them rolling up something yeah bro I, I can't even like this is not something I went and did on purpose it just kind of evolved yeah and like a lot of things I figured out once I didn't have it I didn't miss it huh yeah that's that blows my mind I'm my mind is blown right now <laughs> like you know, at a, at a much different level, this is the problem I w- we were talking about with Bally's. Like, okay, you didn't give me Mavericks basketball all season. It's not that I went crazy without it. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. That's just, like, wow. Huh. I kind of missed it. There were some nights I wished I had it. But in general, I figured out a way to live without it. So accidentally, I figured out a way to live without a... Um, Pillow. I'll tell you something else I figured out a way to live with that last week as well. Hmm. I did this by accident. Yeah. I was on my way somewhere. I can't even remember where. Somewhere. And I hadn't cut my bald head in probably five or six days. And so if I was just going to hang around or go to the store, I'd have been fine. But I was making a public appearance. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to kind of look like this. And so I went to cut my hair, which usually takes me 10 minutes. Get, some, get my clippers. Good to go. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. The clippers would not work, Matt. Oh, no. And I was like, what the hell? 
And so I was like, I got to figure this out. Do I have time to get some? Uh, how am I going to handle this? And so I hopped in the shower and I was trying to think. And I go, dude, because sometimes I shave in the shower on a rare occasion I need to shave. I said, dude, your hair couldn't look any possibly any worse yeah. than if you mess it up. And so Matt, I grabbed the shaving cream that I usually shave my face with. I put it on top of my head and lathered it up. And for the first time, I took a razor to my head and said, well, let's see what it looks like. And Matt, it went off without a hitch. Really? So I shaved my head with a razor for the first time, huh? like last week or two weeks ago. And then I checked it out. And I made sure that I didn't have any razor bumps or nicks or anything over the next day or two. And I said, well, I guess I don't need to spend $50 on a pair of clippers anymore. You're just going to shave your head from now on? I've done it three times since then. Interesting. I'm, th- I'm three for three with no problems. Do you have to put, like, lotion on on your head after that or anything? Well, what I do is... Uh, I use a little bit of just a just a littlest amount of Vaseline with some water to kind of seal it in and keep it moist or whatever because you don't want it too dry. I've been told. Yeah. And uh, so now I do that, man. And like I said, I've done it for about three weeks, and I've had one hair bump, which is a problem for black men because your hair is typically curly as opposed to white folks whose hair is typically straight. Well, yeah. The, the curl goes inward, and it can create a bump. That's why a lot of black men have problems shaving because they get those all over their face. Uh, but anyway, I've had one hair bump, man, in, in the three or four times I've done this. So I think, uh, you know, I'm good to go. Interesting. So now you're just a, a clean, ball-headed dude, man. Matt, you know, it feels different. I'm sure and it does. It's got to feel different. Like, even when I had a Clippers and I take it, basically, if you were to look at it, it would look the same. But it doesn't feel the same. It feels bald is a lot different than ninety nine percent bald. Man, it might not feel like it. I mean, it might not seem like, but yeah. it is. No, I would imagine that's probably it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, but this is a cleaner look for me. So hey, well, so as long as I'm alive now, I'll rock it like this. So you have that, which is great. <laughs> the other thing, you're without hair now. Yeah. The other thing that you went without today for a while, and this is always a nightmare for people, is somehow, some way, you left your house today and for several hours did not have a cell phone. Bro. <laughs> what happened was, this can happen to, what happened was I left the phone, but I didn't realize I left it till I was on my way to the Cowboys. And I was only a couple miles into the trip. And so it became, if I turn around and go get the phone, I'll probably be late. And if I'm late, that means now I have to get an escort to practice. And it just creates a whole nother, you know, series of things you got to deal with. You all right there? Matt's probably wondering what happened to me. Yes, I am. Well, I was talking and I knocked my headphones off my head. I was so <laughs> you know, I've always got something. Yeah, it's always stuff. something, man. Uh, so I was like, I don't want to be late and have to deal with all of that. Ah, fine. I'll just go. 
and just, you know, feel out of the loop and out of sorts. And you know what, man? You miss not being on Twitter. You miss not checking Instagram. You miss not checking Facebook, all the social media apps. But, dude, you know, I use my phone to check emails like 99% of the free world. Yeah. But I also use it. I write on my phone quite a bit, and I make notes on my phone quite a bit. Um, like almost every story starts in notes mode on my phone before I switch it over to a document. Um, I used a voice recorder on it with the transcription service I have to do interviews and stuff. And so when I didn't have my phone, all of that is not at play. You know, so it's just not only was it inconvenient because I couldn't keep up with the world, it was inconvenient because I couldn't do all the stuff I like to do the way I like to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think it's anytime, and, and this is something that I think about sometimes because obviously you and I both grew up in an era where phones were not accessible. Like you didn't carry around a phone for probably, man, how old were you when you first got a phone, like a cell phone? You had to be in your 30s. I'm not that old, bro. Really? Because I, I didn't get a cell phone until I was 21 when I was in college. No, I got a cell phone. Actually, the very first cell phone I had ironically enough was issued to me from the dallas morning news that makes sense i didn't think about that so you might you might have had one in the mid 90s then so i did like but check this out they issued you the phone and then they're like this is only for business calls and for a while bro they would go through the phone bill really if you were making business calls or not because remember then you had so many minutes or so many calls and then it the, the the price went up exponentially. And so they were like, so Dave was like, who is this number you're calling Dave Smith, the sports editor? Because you're calling that quite a bit. I don't believe that's a business call. <laughs> God. I said, oh, that's, I said, real talk, man. I was like, oh, that's my mother. <laughs> you call your mother this much. I go, yeah, you need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> He's pissed. It's dog. That's for real, man. And so, I, cause I used, cause, and I tell this all the time. Me and my my mother was my friend. She was my mother, but I also liked my mother. I mean, we had a lot in common. We used to talk all the time. So I I was a I was that guy who I would literally call my mother and talk to her every day, cause I liked her, and uh and she was and you know whatever. I mean, everybody loves their mom and right, all that, yeah. but I actually liked my mom in addition to loving her. And so we talk about stuff. And so I used to call, it wasn't anything for me to call every day on the way home from work and say, hey, what's going on with you? I've been doing this today. What you been doing? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I had to stop that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's having a cell phone. Like even when you first had cell phones, I remember it was basically, I mean, who are you going to call? Texting wasn't a thing. I mean, right. texting for me, I, I know like, like younger people, because I was probably in my mid-20s with that T9 texting or whatever, where you had to go through the letters and make it and all that. And I was like, well, that's a pain in the ass. I'm not going to do that. And then obviously right. the technology developed, and then texting is probably the preferred method of communication for most people these days. And like, honestly, I mean, generally speaking, I don't talk to anybody on the phone I will talk to my parents on the phone and I will talk to my brother, Chris, on the phone. And that's that's usually about the only phone calls I ever make. Wow. You know, I mean, obviously, you may have to call and schedule an appointment or something, but I'm talking about like having a phone conversation. Um, I I talk to more people than that, but I probably have a circle of about eight people I talk to on a regular basis. Um, 
but you know most of those are family members uh and clarence and calvin uh that would run and big join a big rig that would round them out the people i talked to um but here's the question so i got mine in the mid-20s i remember wrestling with the fact of getting my daughter one when she was 16. um she might have been younger than that and i got it so i could keep up with her not so she could really have a phone which led to one of the all-time great stories matt we can take this exit ramp since it's our podcast okay so she had a phone i think i got it for when she was 16 or 15 something like that she's now about 17 and uh i had called her and i had there's something about her behavior i didn't like and we were having some disagreement and she was in trouble and she was on her way home and the way the house is situated my office is the first is faces the street so she parked and she got out of her car on the phone yeah he get on my nerves he think he can run he's in charge he ain't doing this he get on my nerves and i heard all of this matt because she's talking about me to her brother. <laughs> And I, and I said to myself, self, oh, so I get on your nerves. Oh, let me fix this real quick. This, real, this is real talk, Matt. From the time she started talking to the time she came in the house to the time she went upstairs loud talking because she wanted me to hear all the stuff she was saying. Yeah. I called Sprint on my phone and turned her shit off. Wow. And, and all that loud talking, at another point I heard, Stephanie, Stephanie, can you hear me? <laughs> Stephanie. And I came out of my office and said, no, nah, she can't hear you because I turned your fucking phone off. Damn. <laughs> ah, the good old days of parenting. Just yeah. so you guys know, she just sent me a text less than an hour ago that said, here's where we're going for Father's Day. Oh, look at Father's that. Father's Day is like two weeks away. I ain't even thought about Father's Day. And she's already planning and being nice to you, and you're just ripping her. Unbelievable. Right. So, uh, clearly, it all worked out for the best. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that was leading to that question, because I got my son a phone when he was probably in the seventh, sixth grade. When did you get Maddox a phone, or have you? We have not yet, no. And he asks about it. He wants one very, very badly. I don't know that he needs one at this point. I think it'll probably happen, you know, maybe like when he turns 12 because he's 11 and a half and he's, he's going into sixth grade. He's going into middle school. I feel like right. sixth, seventh grade is probably the time where you might get them one. And it, I mean, at some point you got to teach them how to navigate, use a phone properly. And, and, and you, I mean, it's going to happen eventually. Right. You know, I'd probably no, be more I, open I and, so. open to it than she is. Yeah. I, I, my, my personal rule became, once you start getting out and moving around, and moving yeah. around could be seventh grade football practice or basketball, something where you're not just, I drop you off and I pick you up. Um, that's, when I, that's when I started getting them phones. Again, it was more for me to make sure I could find you because we had a rule. If I ever call, and the rule is still in effect, <laughs> if I ever call and you don't pick up, you know, we got problems. Yeah, it, uh, it, that's the thing. Because, I mean, honestly, like, you can add a line. Most plans, it's like 20 bucks a month. It's the cost of the phone originally that ends up right. being a chunk of change. But you can add. I mean, having the phone line is, is really not that expensive. And, 
you know, I've thought about it just because like with me and him, it'd be nice. We use Facebook Messenger for kids now where I can right. message him on his his device. He has like a, a Kindle or whatever that he uses. You know, he'll play some apps on that. And I mean, you can parental control a phone and everything as well. But it's just one of those things of making sure. And, and I would like it just so I could I could text him directly. And when I call him, it's it's I don't have to go through her to get to him in a sense. Yeah, I get you. Um, and ironically, you know, uh, I spend a lot of time texting my dude now. Like, you know, it's yeah, I would imagine yeah. find him because he's out and about, you know, living his 18 year old life. Right. Yeah. And, and Maddox is, is getting to that point, getting to that point in life where that's about to start happening. So it's going to happen pretty soon. Speaking of your son, though, I mean, I was not expecting you to say this. You, we, we jump on, we're about to record, and you go, have you ever testified in front of a jury? I was like, no, I, oddly, I haven't ever. And apparently your son <laughs> testified before a jury in a case this week. Yeah, man, I was, uh, <laughs> I was a little surprised. I don't know what I thought was going on, but I don't think I thought it was that. Uh, but what happened was in the fall, um, He's got uh, he's got a friend of his whose dad is uh, pretty well known and pretty well off, and the only reason I'm telling you is because it's part of the story. So somebody broke into his friend's dad's house. Mm-hmm. Okay, does that make sense to everybody? Yes. And stole a bunch of jewelry. Whoa. Okay. Well, they didn't. When I say they broke into the house, um, this person is a person who, um, because he's part of the rich and the famous and a lot of people are always by his house he just kind of leaves his front door open <laughs> and no seriously because there's like there's literally no telling who you could find over there if you walked over there on a given day it could be some of the most powerful people in dallas it's it's whatever it's a smorgasbord of people and what happened was this this thief walked in and my son was over there because he's hanging out at his friend's house yeah um, and he saw him and the guy said, Hey, what's up? And my dude said, Hey, what's up? And you know, went on about his business. And it was only later when the dad said, Hey, um, I'm missing a bunch of stuff, um, out of my bedroom. Have any of you guys been in there? No. Have you seen anybody at the house? And my dude says, well, nobody except, uh, you know, this one guy who was here. So they go back and look at the video and they go, well, I don't, you know, he ain't supposed to be here. And so anyway, because he was on video, they put the word out on the street, found the guy, he got arrested and charged, and the trial came up this week. And it was, so my dude was testifying at the trial like, yeah, I saw him in the house. I just assumed he was just one other person in the house. I didn't know. I don't know everybody who's in the house kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was interesting because, um, you know, this is a real look at the court system, like the... Uh, the prosecuting attorneys brought him in on when on Tuesday to say, hey, these are the questions we expect the defense to ask you. Wow. None of them are hard, but we just want you to be aware of what they are. You know, what time, how often are you over there? Yeah. Are, do you often see people in the house you don't know? All these types of things. And so, uh, so that was one day. And then the next day it was showtime. So he went down there and uh, did his thing for about, 10 minutes on, on, on the witness stand, took the whole loaf. 
swore to tr- tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Crazy, dude. It was kind of wild. Man. Yeah, I've I've never I've never been I, I, one time in my life ever have I ever even been whatever you call it for jury duty. Oh. I get jury duty like two like, or three times. I've never served on a jury, and only once did I ever get a notification, and that's when I was a senior in high school. So obviously, I just responded, "I'm in high school," and they're like, "Oh, okay, well, you don't have to come to this." <laughs> and that's it. I've, that's the only time I've ever been called or anything for jury duty or been around it ever in my life. Wow. No, I've I've been called a couple times. Never got picked for an actual jury, um, and um, you know, other than that, bro, I've never even been a part of the judicial process, and I like to keep it that way. I had one time in my life where a guy assaulted me and I pressed, yeah. And I pressed charges and I had a court date. Like I, I had to show up and they had, they told me you got to show up because if not, they'll just throw the case out. So I showed up and as soon as I walked in, like I sat down waiting for the case to get called. And when they announced it, the guy's lawyer or whatever said, okay, well we've taken the deal and he took a plea because since I showed up, they knew they were going to lose the case. And so they just immediately took the plea and they were like, all right, you can go home. I was like, cool. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> now, we I mean, all want to know what precipitated this assault. Oh, it was when I was waiting tables and this dude was, was being way inappropriate and just, just went off on one of the hostesses. And I said, man, you were way out of line. You need to calm down and this and that. And he got up in my face and he's like, I'm going to knock you out. I was like, no, you're not. He's like, you're not going to do anything. He goes, well, yeah, you're going to do something about it. I said, no, if you decide to hit me, I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to press charges on you because we live in the adult world. (laughs) And he goes, oh, yeah. And he took a swing and he hit me and I just started laughing. And I go, cool. I said, somebody call the cops. And I sure did. And I told him flat out. So what did I tell you I was going to do? I flat out told you I was going to call the cops and press charges. Enjoy your day. I was like, you can't just walk into places and hit people because you're upset or whatever. Right, right, right. So he learned a very expective, uh, a very expensive uh, lesson, I would imagine. Oh, cool. When you lose your cool in public, you can't just throw down with somebody. Not to mention the fact that I was working and I didn't want to lose my job and I knew I'd probably get in trouble if I tried to do anything to him. I mean, if we had been outside and it was random, it might have been different. Who knows? Right, right, right. But yeah, so that's what happened to that. So, man, that was wild. That is wild. And, and I'll tell you what else is wild. The taste and the deliciousness the deliciousness of, what am I trying to say? The deliciousness of Smokey John's barbecue. Now, everybody will remember. They'll, they'll walk in and be like, hey, I hear you guys are delicious. <laughs> Go get the jam session bowl, man. Go enjoy some Smokey John's barbecue right there in downtown. Well, I shouldn't say it's in downtown. It's just north of downtown. Really right around the corner from Freeway Tire Shop. You go down Mockingbird. It's right there in between Love Field and 35. It's Swan and Brent, the two brothers, the family's own Smokey John's Forever. It is phenomenal, phenomenal Texas barbecue at Smokey John's Barbecue. Oh, no, it is that now. Go get yourself some. And Jam Session Bowl, Matt's talking about, you only know about it if you're listening to the podcast. I mean, really, that's the only reason you would know about it. It's, uh, it's on the secret menu. Juan and Brent were lucky enough to bless us with a secret menu item. That's it. Your check, your, your choice of uh, mac and cheese or uh, mashed potatoes, then your choice of two smoked meats on top of it, and then uh, they drizzle it with all kind of stuff, sour cream, chives, olives, all that stuff you'd find on a baked potato, and it is sensational, man. And, uh, you know, for some reason, you're not in DFW, 
you know all you gotta do is go to the website go to marketplace you can order the rub or the sauce get it sent to you in a couple days and that too is fantastic uh smoky john's man it's what's up it is so go check them out at smoky john's barbecue very easy to find and enjoy a little bit for yourself at smoky john's barbecue and as jacques said smokyjohns.com easy to order some sauce or rub as well NHFX Foundation Solutions, they always help to sponsor the podcast and make this possible. You know what's funny? And, and we always talk about why we need sponsors. And, and yeah, some of it's for our time and, and being able to make this happen. And it's not like we're making a full living off of this, but it's always great to have a little. But the cost of putting this together, and I don't know if you know this. So our podcast hosting site, the way that this works behind the scenes and all this, so the podcast hosting site that we use because the podcast has grown and you guys have spread the word and been telling your friends and, and we've had more listeners than we've ever had, which is great because we love growing this thing and getting the word out. So I got an email a couple of weeks ago from the podcast hosting site that we use and they're like, hey, we need you to upgrade because we were paying for a certain amount of downloads a month and, the, and we were exceeding that. They're like, you need to upgrade to the next level or we're going to suspend your, your service. <laughs> And I was like, okay. And I looked at it, I was like, oh my God. And I was like, okay. So it's going to cost this much then, huh? And I was like, all right, well. So I went with them and they said, well, if you'll do a year, then we can discount what the cost per month would be, but you have to pay for the year all at once. And while that was was a chunk all at once, but long-term it's cheaper than if we had done it month to month. You know what I mean? Yeah, most, most of the time it's like that. It's just, do you want to part with the cash up front? Exactly. And and so that's, it's things like that, that all of our sponsors and you guys, when you call our sponsors and you're using these people, that's what, it really helps in in a real world way to help keep the podcast going. So it's very much appreciated. HFX Foundation Solutions has been with us from the beginning. If you notice that you've got some cracks, if you've got soil washouts, those doors that are sticking you got to call HFX Foundation Solutions. It's local. It's family-owned. They service all of Dallas-Fort Worth. Aaron and his guys, they will take good care of you. It's a free, no-obligation inspection. 817-770-0174. They can even handle, like, drainage problems on your property. If you need gutter installation, they do it all at HFX Foundation Solutions. No, and, you know, I, I think the thing about it is Aaron and his team provide peace of mind. With this Texas soil and the heat, um, it can have a real effect on your house. And if you ever got foundation problems or you know somebody who's had them, then you know what a beatdown it is. And the reason why you call Aaron and his team, by the way, that call is free. It doesn't cost you anything yep. for them to come out and check it out, is to get the peace of mind that comes from having a colonoscopy from your house, man. It's, it's really that simple. Go get the peace of mind that comes from having Aaron check out your house and go to sleep at night knowing every day, ha-ha, no foundation problems here. That's very true. And like you said, it is a free, no obligation inspection. They'll come out and check you out, man. 817-770-0174. Do not wait with foundation. Do not wait. Do not think, ah, it's no big deal. We'll see if it gets worse. Because if it does, you're just costing yourself more money. Get that peace of mind. Online at hfxfoundation.com. It's HFX Foundation Solutions. You guys have waited the entirety of the podcast. I know you're excited because if you remember what we said at the beginning, you know what I'm talking about. It is time, once again, for that information you cannot see, hear, or get anywhere else. Even when people try to rip off the title of it and act like we haven't been using it for years, and we all know who we're talking about, 
That's right, Mike Fisher, who decides, oh, I do whispers from the star. No, Mike, you stole it from us. You flat out stole it from us. <laughs> and you know you stole it from us because you know you listen to our radio show when we are on ESPN, and you know that we had been doing it for multiple years there, and you stole it and tried to act like nobody else has done it before. I can't stand that crap. But we've been doing it first. It was original with this. So when you see it out there and other people are using it, they're not getting whispers from the star. They're getting ripped off. That's what they're doing. They're ripping somebody <laughs> else off because they have no creativity on their own or any originality on their own. So now that I've said my piece, may I present to uh, you Jean-Jacques Taylor with whispers from the star. Wow, that was great. Now you got to wait for me to go get my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about this because <laughs> this is the beauty of the podcast. See, I thought about this because I, I walked in and I set my keys and my notes on the counter. And <sighs> I went to the office and, uh, you know, got my stuff set up and started. And while Matt's been, while we've been doing this whole show, I'm like, hmm, at some point I got to go get these notes. All right, well, go get because, them then. And, and check this out. Why? Because ordinarily I'd have my phone next to me and all my notes would be where, Matt? Uh. In my phone. So okay. that's the beauty of this. So hold up. I'm All right. Get my notes. We are currently holding while Jean-Jacques Taylor goes live to get his notes. All right. So he is back. He's got his notes. And so now we present to you <laughs> the information you cannot see, hear, or read anywhere else. But right here on the Jam Session podcast, it is Whispers from the Star. Why, thank you, Matt McLaren. And because, as I've explained to you, I had to get these notes in a haphazard way, I'll kind of go through them in chronological order as opposed to uh, order of importance uh, because it's just a little bit easier for me that way. Um, first off the bat, man, what's the name of our first round pick? Tyler Smith? Yes. Not to be not to be confused with Tyron Smith. But Tyler Smith, he, he, <laughs> he saw action at left tackle today, bro. How about that? He also saw action at left guard. Now, we all expect him to compete at left guard, but left tackle, that's Tyron Smith's spot. And oh, by the way, do you remember last year when Mike McCarthy said, oh, we don't really like to let rookies play multiple spots, especially on the offensive line. We like to just keep them at one spot. This, friends, is why coaches lie only when they move their lips. It's really a situation where everything is unique and individual and just because i did this one time doesn't mean it's like what i do all the time it's all about this year's team and what it means and so tyler smith is working at guard and tackle uh mike mccarthy shed a little bit more light on it later when he said hey man um he's the kind of kid who when he makes mistakes or when things get rough and you resort back to your original training you kind of forget your training and do what you used to do his default mechanism is hit harder and attack faster, which is actually a good thing for a guard and not as much good thing for a tackle, which led me to think this, Matt. I wonder, this is just a wonder, just a wonder, if there's any chance that Tyler Smith will be so good at guard that they will hesitate to move him to tackle. I just wonder that. And now we're moving on to more of those whispers from the star that news you can't see here we get anywhere but the jam session podcast <laughs> have you have you noticed well now nah, y'all probably haven't noticed that your boy ezekiel elliott has a new helmet now zeke had one of the biggest helmets on the team because he got a big head in addition to having braids and all this other stuff 
but he kind of poo-pooed the new helmet. He said, really, the only difference is it's lighter. And so that kind of makes a little bit of difference. And so it's lighter. And the other thing he said about it was, you know, every time they come out with that new F-150 truck, you just kind of want it if it's available. So I think, like anybody, he's in the new gear. And so he decided it's new gear. It's available. I think I'll go have me a little piece of it. How about that? Moving on to our next topic here. Um, I had a very interesting conversation. That's right. I love the locker room, man. I had a very interesting conversation with one Doris Armstrong. Doris Armstrong. Y'all ain't paying no attention to Doris Armstrong. But I've always talked to Doris Armstrong. Why? Because he's got incredibly long arms. I mean, like, longer, like, like, dude, how do you fuck with them long arms long? And two... He played at Kansas, which we know sucks at football. And so I'd like to hear his stories about how bad they sucked and what he got from playing at Kansas. But I talked to him about what's it like for you, a guy who ever since you've been here had to prove you were worthy of a spot, even as a fourth-round pick. What's it like now that you got a deal and a little money in your pocket, dog? And you know what he said to me? Hmm. He said, hey, that's, that's the proper way to answer, man. He said, hey, let me tell you what it is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus. Jesus. Is, it's Jesus. <laughs> These freaking headphones fell out of my head this time, and I did nothing to them. Um, he said the difference is, I can. Okay, this is really nuanced. He said early in the league, early when I'm playing, I'm so focused on me, I don't really worry about the other team. Am I lined up right? Am I playing the right technique? Am I doing exactly what I'm supposed to do in the scheme that we're running? Is my assignment carried out? He goes about some point last year, earlier rather than later, he said the game slowed down for me. I said, I could tell because he started making plays. He said, yeah, I did. He said, because the game slowed down and I started spending more time on the other team because I knew everything I was supposed to do. I didn't have to think about it. So now I could look at the tackle. How is he set up? How is he doing? I could look at the offensive scheme. What are they doing based on dying and distance? Okay, based on this formation, they're going to do this, that, or the other thing. He said it made me a better player because for the first time in my career, I was more focused on the other team than myself. Now that, my friends, is the kind of information you get when you hang around in the locker room and you start having real talk conversations. I did then. I left Doris Armstrong. Yeah, because I'm in the locker room. I got to get my bearings right now because I ain't been in the locker room in a couple years, Matt. Um, last week, remember, I got stopped by all the front office people, so I never made it to the locker room. This is my first time in the locker room in two years. Think about that, Matt. I was in there every day. It was available, basically, for the last 25 years. And in the last two years, I missed it. So I moved over to Jordan lewis and anthony brown now let me ask you matt what do you think the very first question i had for them as a unit was just Man. go ahead tell your best guess yeah it's something best about guess. turnovers and can you repeat what you did last year and this my friends is why matt is in the entertainment business and i'm one of the badass reporters <laughs> hell no i didn't ask that I looked at each of them. I said, hey, I got one question for y'all. They looked back at me because they were sitting next to each other. They said, yeah, what's that? I said, okay. Now, remember, I'm in the locker room. I said, what the fuck y'all doing? And they both looked at me like, huh? 
I said, you, Jordan, you number two, and Anthony, you number three. Explain yourselves. Why y'all changing numbers, dog? Because <laughs> that's what people want to talk about. And I'm telling you, man, now that all the numbers are basically open to players, you get great stories on why guys are picking the numbers that they're picking. So Jordan Lewis has gone from 26 to 2. It's his third, ch- it's his third uni- number change since he's been in the league. I told him, dog. I think you're going to owe me a $500 fine. You change numbers again. And um, he started laughing. He said, number two is a number I played and I wore in Little League when folks first started to tell me I was too small to play high school football or college football or in the NFL. So that's why I picked number two because it reminds me of those days. And then I talked to Anthony. I said, dog, you've been third. You changed. What you doing, man? He said, Man, I ain't never been able to pick my number ever. Not at Purdue, not at the Cowboys. Once they said I could pick a number, I said, I'm going to pick one just because I can. He said, he said, I used to wear 30. All I did was take the zero off, and I just got three. He said, and I got three boys, one who's five about to turn six, one who's three, and one who's five months. I said, dog, I see you like this COVID lifestyle. Get that woman some time, man. Quit filling her belly up every time you get bored. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> This is what happens, man, when you get in the locker room. You start having these conversations with guys about life and stuff, and then that's when it leads to football questions down the road. Like I asked Jordan Lewis, I said, hey, man, I miss you. I've been gone two years. Just so you know, we ain't got no time to talk about that Michigan win over the Buckeyes last year. That shit is old news. We on to the next game. And, of course, he started laughing. Um, So then I went over to talk to Dak for a minute. Because remember, I haven't been in the locker room for a couple of years. I haven't really seen Dak. I did something for ESPN with him last year, so I yeah. saw him last year. But I haven't really seen Dak. And so I went by and said, hey, man, I just I literally just came by to say hi because I ain't been in here in a couple of years. He said, Jacques, good to see you, man. Good to see you. He said, I see you been kicking it with D.I. I said, dog, you been watching? He said, yeah, I watched that whole <laughs> interview. I said, my boy. I said, I told you, that's my boy, man. Uh, so I'm telling him, so then I ended up telling him the story of, of how I ended up at the house. Now, you know how I finished that story. I said, Dak, now, you know, anytime you want to offer your boy to come out to the crib, I am available. Just let me know. And he started laughing. Okay. I said, you need my number? He said, nah, I have your people, my people reach out to you. Oh, I people, bet, yeah. <laughs> I said, Dak, you full of shit, dog. He started looking at me and laughing. I said, that's not a denial. And then he walked off with a little laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and that, my friends, is another edition of Whispers from the start. That news you can't see here, we get anywhere but the Jam Session Podcast. All right. Yeah, there you go. That's a, I like the music under that. It gets everybody pumped up and ready to go, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, y'all should know. Nice. As uh, I'm still getting my 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 uh, whispers from the star rhythm back. Yeah. So next week is another locker room. I'll go spend some more time. Like I had a conversation with Demarcus Lawrence. I didn't even tell y'all about. It. See, I'm holding back on y'all. Ooh. Uh, but uh, you know, I'll be in the locker room next next week. Get a few more tidbits, and uh, you know, then we'll be cranked up. And um, you know, once the season starts, uh, we'll do that thing the way we used to, and uh, it'll be really good. Yeah. All right. I'm looking forward to that. So there it is. Always great to hear whispers from the star. And then finally, before we wrap it up here, and we're not going to try to come back on after game one of the NBA finals, but we're recording this before. I don't know who's going to win. I have a feeling the Warriors are going to win this thing in five or six. I'd love to see Boston win. You know, I was looking at this and I don't know why, but I find this really interesting. 
Boston, for as great as that franchise is, Boston has one NBA championship in the last 36 years. Just one, huh? Yeah, because keep in mind, they won 16 titles, and then their last one came in 1986. They didn't win again until 2008. That's been it. They have won since 1986. Wow. Again, that just proves how hard it is to win, man. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes there's a great team standing in your way that you can't get past. But it is hard to win. And uh, this, to me, it's going to be a fascinating series, man. Um, I think Boston takes it. Really? But, um, uh, dude, I think the Warriors are, are, you know, I think Boston's got a got a star. They got a, they got a, I mean, they got some really good players, man. They play defense. If they can handle the bright lights and the attention that comes from uh, being in the finals, being the only game anybody's talking about, I think they win it in seven. Man, that would be that'd be cool. And if they win, now keep in mind they are currently tied with Los Angeles, the Lakers, with seventeen championships each. Now, obviously, the Lakers have won several in the last thirty-six years. I mean, they won what three or whatever it was in a row back when it was Kobe and Shaq, and they won one a couple of years ago. But if Boston wins, they would have 18 championships. The Lakers have 17. The other thing I was looking at, and I don't think a lot of people realize this. Now, Sam, the, the Warriors originally were in Philadelphia. They were the Philadelphia Warriors and moved out to the, the Bay Area, the San Francisco Warriors, Golden State Warriors. They right. have six NBA championships. Six. So they are one of only four franchises that have six or more titles. If they win this series, and I don't think anybody thinks of Golden State like that, that would give them seven championships, and only the Lakers and Celtics will have one more all-time than the Warriors. Dude, I would have never guessed that in a million trillion years. <laughs> I know. That's what's so crazy. Like, even if you take away, like, I, I don't know what it is, and maybe it's because we forget you know, when you think about it all time, 34 titles between the Lakers and the Celtics, the Bulls won six, and the Spurs have five. Even if you don't want to count like 1947, 1956, and 1975, which were the Warriors' first three titles, and you only look at what they've done in recent years with the three, that's still, I mean, if they win this, they would still be only with the Spurs, the Bulls, the Celtics, and the Lakers as teams with four more titles. Dude, again, man, it's hard to win. These types of stats just prove it that, uh, you know, there are a couple of fran marquee franchises that win it. But aside from the Lakers and the Celtics, most other teams have had a moment in time where they dominated, whether it's yeah. the Spurs or whether it's, you know, Golden State right now for a period, whether it's the Bulls. You have your moment in time that you dominate and then you disappear for 25, 30 years because it's hard to win. Yeah, man. And, and that's what's so wild about this is – like you said, nobody ever, ever would think that Golden State potentially might be about to have the third most championships in NBA history as a franchise. Right. Hell no. It's amazing. Absolutely incredible. But then again, you look at the Bulls. The Bulls win six in whatever that was, eight years. That's it. I mean, you look at them before right, right, that right. and after that, they haven't done anything. And, and like I said, with the Celtics, it's kind of wild. And man, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I think I'd kind of like to see the Celtics win. Just because I, I don't know, I'm tired of the, of the Warriors winning and the Celtics haven't won one since 08. So when I don't really give a crap who wins, I, I tend to go to the team that hasn't won in the longest and that's the Celtics in this one. Yeah, I 
ain't got no problem with that. I like the Warriors. I hope the Warriors win because I think the Warriors are fun. They are. I think they change basketball. I think they play with a certain real emotion um, that I just enjoy. And so I don't have any problem with they win. I hope they do win. I just think um, if Boston can handle the the spotlight, then their defense and the other stuff that they have will be enough to win it. We'll see. And we'll talk about it. Who knows? But game one is happening tonight. You guys will probably watch it. I, I don't know if I'll care. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I might tune in for a bit. But that's the podcast. We'll have another one. we got a full week coming your way next week as we roll through the month of June. Appreciate all of you being a part of this, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.